Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast with Danny Dicchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Today, we welcome Dan Wong and the Big Blue Dildo. I'm Jeff Cole. Let's get this party started. It is going to be some party with the big blue dildo, that is for sure. Thank you, Jeff Cole. Welcome to Footy Prime, everyone. It's uh, been another week behind us, another week of many talking points. Um, no guest this week. We've gone old school this week. Just, just the original members. We figured that. How could anyone really follow in the footsteps of Thomas Rongan from last week? TR uh, put in a performance, a world-class performance last week, so we thought we'd let it breathe for a week before bringing on someone else so thank you once again to your if you didn't get last week's uh, edition check it out it is quite amusing uh it got me thinking though you know certain people in football are very hard to follow as is tr in the podcast world so you know is a one person one player one manager who stands out to you boys as impossible to follow fergie of course jumps out to me and we've seen the issues at United ever since but is there someone that even in your careers have been impossible to follow for me yeah when I was younger I had a, a an interesting situation growing up in the QPR academy and I was there since I was nine years old leading into the first team but in the first team at that time was a stellar striker who was a local fella as well who broke into the league uh, at a later age in his career, Mr. Soles Ferdinand. And he was QPR's big number nine. So there was many rumours because he had a couple of years in the Premier League where he was banging goals aplenty against the Liverpools, the Manchester United, against big teams. You can score goals in the Premier League, but when you're scoring pairs or hat-tricks against the big teams, that's when the big teams come calling. And it was at that present time when Newcastle were going through a little bit of a transition and they were spending money. And it eventually happened where Soles got into the England team and there was a lot more rumours coming around the club and he eventually went for big, big money. And, and that next year, myself and Kevin Gallen, who was another academy product from QPR where we, we grew up through the system together, were suddenly thrown into the Lions then in the Premier League to say, all right, fellas, we, we, we've uh, we got sink or swim time. It's, it's, it's up to you young boys to, to provide the goals and and try and replicate what, what Sir Les had been doing for the last three or four years for the first team. And, and it was a difficult moment for me. Not not that I felt immediate pressure, but it, he was such a uh, incredible talisman for QPR and our, our focal point. Craig probably played against him many, many times, but he was a big, strong number nine and a, a lot different than a skinny, tall boy from West London who could hold the ball up at nifty feet, but I was nowhere near the physical prowess of Sir Les at, uh, at that present time. So a very difficult act to follow. Yeah, he was amazing. I remember playing at Loftus Road and I don't know if it was a keeper punted it and it bounced and I'm going up to catch it. I'm, I've leapt pretty high, I thought, and he's, he's out jumped me. He's actually flicked yeah. the ball. His leap was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he was mobile. So he was big, strong, mobile guy, a great finisher. Good guy too. Yeah. So, Tish, so, so when, when he left, obviously it was a financial mainly a financial choice for QPR, but did they have great faith in you and say, okay, listen to the fans, we've got to sell this guy, but we've got some good kids coming through here. 
who may not replace him straight away, but potentially could could you know lead this club moving forward. I think so. They, the, the club were going through a little mini transition as well because we just lost our head coach, our manager at the time, Jerry Francis, who used to be the ex-captain of England, but a fantastic player for QPR as well. And he was a, a head coach that had done very well at QPR and he moved on to Tottenham Hotspurs. So Ray Wilkins came in after him and we were going for a little bit of transition where I think the club was struggling to hold on to their better players, but also to keep up with the big spenders in the Premier League at that time. So we started bringing in younger players and it wasn't just myself and Kev that were were developing from the youth team. They were buying younger players as well to try and implement them into a new way of playing, but also hoping for them to progress and develop in the Premier League. And sometimes, as Craig will know, knows as well you can't have a bunch of young young players playing in the Premier League week in week out you need that better experience with you as well uh, class 92 Ditch. yes but they still had their vets in there like Steve Bruce Gary Pallister Peter Schmeichel guys like that that were, were keeping them in in, in in tech you know is there a club uh, like QPR that's gone through a few transitions in their time haven't they gone from having money no money being in the top flight being relegated just a Quite the uh, spiral of uh, excitement with that club. Yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a little bit like West Ham as well, Craig, where they went through uh, a couple of different owners that promised so much money and they wanted to take the club into the promised land and they were building a new stadium for years and years at QPR. They're still in their old stadium, Loftus Road, which is, as I said, where I grew up as a fan and then was was very lucky and fortunate to play there as a player. But there was numerous owners that came in, whether they were at the backing of the F1 team once in a while. Then currently we have a, another guy from, from Air Asia, uh, Fernandez, who's, who's doing a good job, but he's losing money plenty at the moment. You know what it's like when you have big, big time money players that have played in the Premier League that now you've transitioned into the championship. You can't, you can't possibly pay that, that, that player the same wages what he was in the Premier League. So some players, as we've spoken about before, have clauses in their contracts where if they do get relegated, they're able to be put on the transfer market or their wages are cut in half or they stay on the same wages. And you can't possibly do that in, in the championship, Greg. No, it's difficult, really difficult. There's just a slew of clubs as to, you know, when it, when it's just about every club and the, Championship has been to the Premier League at some stage, and I think half of the third tier teams have it as well. It's a dogfight, which makes yeah. it exciting. That's what I love about it so uh, so much. But uh, I think financially, this pandemic is going to affect a lot of clubs moving forward. It'll be interesting to see what exactly happens uh, when this all cleans itself up. But it sounds as though we got the Premier League coming back on June seventeenth. I believe seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, June seventeenth. Um, I think it's pending. You know government green light right? <clears throat> obviously a look at them between now and then but it seems that way Germany's you know setting the blueprint isn't it and, and it seems to be working really well so far I'm still not used to seeing no fans it's still weird but as long as yeah. Fonzie's popping goals so I'll keep watching it's, it's been well, fun you know, it? it's amazing isn't it because with Fonzie um, you know the timing of, of everything has really worked out for his exposure for himself remember yeah, in the Champions League just before the pandemic he had that uh, performance at Chelsea that caught the eye of all the British media uh, that usually have their fingers up their asses, certainly about <laughs> other leagues, and they exposed him to that. And then all of a sudden, they're the first league back, after coming back with this pandemic, exposes him even more, and everybody around the world is now watching and, and even talking about him being in the conversation about being the best left back in the world. It's just insane. Like, when you really think about it, it's just incredible. Is that okay? Let me ask you. Um, you know that that narrative right now, which is going through social media, is Fonzie up there as among the best left backs in world football? Is that just hyperbole simply because we haven't seen football for a while? We want a story. We're going to jump in it. Obviously, it seems a bit. I mean, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but it's a little bit early, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a little bit early. I would say. Uh, Primarily because he's not even close to the finished product. I mean, some of his runs defensively are 
He's in bad positions. He's just incredibly quick and gets himself out of trouble. Wait until he gets some experience and he starts to position himself better. I mean, it just comes with the game and the experience that he's playing with. He's, he's only 19, 20 years old. So it's, uh, it's incredible. Just really is. And, and, and to have a player at left back that well, is the most talked about player. But it seems now that this modern era of football, that literally the last year, the last year or two, say, Fullbacks are sexy, right? Yep. From Juan Bissaka at United, obviously, doing a good job there. And then obviously at Liverpool, those two fellas, incredible. Fonzie, yeah. you look around the leagues now, and, and suddenly left back, right back, where you used to put your worst players, are now where kids want to play. And maybe they'll move forward and play, you know, midfield eventually. These you're laughing a little bit, right? But isn't that the case, though, now? <laughs> the worst players. No, the worst players used to go and goal. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair <laughs> no, they used to though right well yeah but you know what there's like i think if we talk about guys that are you know impossible to replace i i think at ipswich town bobby robson was in that position you know coming out of the fa cup in 78 81 uefa cup when it really meant something i mean they were the they were you know winning things he was a you know constant winner and and he uh he brought fullbacks into the game a lot. You know, Ipswich and uh, George Burley and Steve McCall, these types of players are really pushed on. Frank Yellop came into the, you know, Bobby Robson system um, just before he uh, left to go to uh, manage England. Got down the line, crossed the ball really, really well. Um, so it's not something new, um, but certainly the class that we've seen at Liverpool with Trent Alexander and Robertson and with now Alfonso Davies, uh, you know, we've seen it before. I mean, we've seen some great left backs uh, in our time, you know, and the Brazilians have had a whole stack of them. A couple. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. Fullbacks have always been sexy, guys. You're forgetting a lot of history here. A lot yeah. of history. Uh, yeah, I agree. But out of all the positions, though, right, out of all the positions in, in football, probably the least sexy. Isn't it fair to say over the years? Let me tell you as well, fullback is probably the hardest position to play in the team at the moment as well. Yeah. Just of the, the amount that, of ground that they cover within a game. You think about how many times they have to get forward to support the attack and the distance of the run at a high intensity that they have to yeah. run in supporting the attack. And then when the ball breaks down or is turned over, they have to get their ass back another 100, whatever it is, yards, meters to get back and defend. So it's a very difficult position yeah. to play. And it's interesting now with all this position-specific training that a lot of clubs are doing, even the the fitness side of things, the the fullbacks and central midfielders are, are, are very extensive in their running. We know how many kilometers they run within a game. But the amount of high-intensity running that fullbacks have to do during a game is at a high, high level. And, and now bringing in the technical aspect of can you put a crossing? Can you finish that final pass into the striker's space where he can go and score? Can you overlap and possibly get a goal-scoring chance yourself? These are all things that I think has helped Alfonso with his game. He's playing in a very athletic and physical team. The defending hasn't been too good so far in Germany, which is very MLS, I think. But... um, He's also played in a league in MLS, which is very athletic and physical as well. So I think it's put him in good stead. His, his foundation has been good so far, but I agree with Craig. He's he's still very raw in that position. Mm. He's not a natural left back. Maybe it's just a stopgap at the moment why they try to find another left back, but they're winning games. I mean, is, is it Flick who's come in as the head coach since... Uh, the last manager had a little bit a shocker. He, he's got the record now as the best winning record of any Bayern Munich manager in his first 25 games. That's even beating Pep, who inherited a treble-winning team the year before. So yeah. this has done wonders, not only with Alfonso Davis, but with the Bayern Munich squad in general. Yeah. So, so, so technically speaking, I mean, you mentioned right now he's bossing it through his athletic ability, his pace, you know, and he's in the perfect team for that. But from a technical standpoint, has he got the tools? Do you think to move forward and and evolve his game? Absolutely. I, there's one thing that, that that I look at Alfonso at the moment, and he's got a lot of good qualities. And I was speaking to my older son about it when we were watching the game last week. 
They said if there's one critique I have of him at the moment, it's his his passing. Sometimes he gets a little bit lackadaisical with just his simple passing, whether it be over 10, 15 yards. He's a little bit lackadaisical and sluggish with that at times. But, boy, when he opens up on the dribble or when he combines, he's very good. So, for me, if I'm being hypercritical for him to move on to be a top, top elite player in the world, is a key thing in his passing and his decision-making in possession with his passing. But his rise has been so quick, Deitch, you know, from where he was to where he's come from. A lot of clubs are watching him in Vancouver. It's not like he he was unknown in the MLS. It was just Bayern were willing to invest, obviously, in a player with great potential, but no guarantees. And to see where he's come from, from there to being in the side. So quickly, right? So yeah. quickly. That's the thing that amazes me. It's not so much that he's making it. Okay, obviously, it's a big story, but to do it just over a year since arriving. I think most of us, we discussed this how many times again. Yeah, he'll likely be loaned out at some point to, to a smaller club mm-hmm. to, to get his feet, his European feet wet. Never happened. Second year he's there, you can't get him out of the team. And he's yeah. dominating big games and you know, big tournaments. It's, it's just something really special watching right now. And we, we, we have to give a lot of credit to Bayern Munich as well because of the way they dealt with him. It's, it's very difficult for a younger player to arrive at a big club under such pressure. But this is a player that's come from North America going to Europe, where it's a different language, obviously a different color than the people that live there, the white people generating that live there. So that's a very difficult environment that a young black player is coming from North America who doesn't speak the language. So they didn't put him in the limelight straight away. They knew that there was going to be an undercurrent of pressure on him. They used him as a training player within the first team to get accustomed to the other players, the elite players within the squad. They, they moved him into the under-23s to get experience of playing in Germany. And then they slowly introduced him with the first team, whether it be five minutes here. And I remember last year, we were getting frustrated as people in the media saying, damn, I wish he was playing more. Damn, why is he not getting on when he's a substitute? But there was a whole process that Bayern Munich were going through. And now we're seeing why they did it. So I have to give a lot of credit to not only the head coach, but to Bayern Munich, the club, the organization as a whole. And the players. Yeah. You know, the players right out of the gap. You, you, you talk about, you know, they talk about the stories when he first came in and being introduced. And I think they've welcomed him in. And and uh, that was a big part of him settling in, I, I, I believe. So, yeah, it's a big, big step for a young man to come out of Canada and to be thrown into there with a different language and everything else. There's a lot of pressures there for sure. He's dealt with it really well. But I guess given his background, you know, it, it seems that you could probably dump Fonzi on Mars and he'd be the most popular kid in the room. He's yeah. got that personality, right? Nothing seems to phase him. And that's really important. And and going to a team like Bayern with all those stars who've won everything pretty much, maybe as much as his pressure, um, you know, they don't have to prove themselves. They're not looking over their shoulder. They've done it. They've accomplished it, right? So they can then put their arm around this kid and say, okay, you are part of the next generation. I think it's a, the perfect fit for him. Um, I'm, I'm more not concerned but curious as to what's going on with the hair he's got the alice band now he's wearing kind of up high right is that going to get bigger you know is he going to be like uh, who was the, who was the uh, the pineapple remember the pineapple in the prem back in the 80s jason, jason lee jason lee, jason lee. Oh, yeah. pineapple i'm thinking maybe that could be the way it's going you know and hair yeah. makes a difference right? i hope not that was brutal Deech. <laughs> that was brutal but going back to alfonso like even watching him on the game yesterday and seeing uh muller with his quotes afterwards saying like we don't call him fonz or davis we call him meat meat as a, the <laughs> he just looks like a kid and a player that is thoroughly enjoying his football at the moment. He's playing with a smile on his face. He looks like he's embracing being in Germany and just playing football. With, How can with, you with, not need I know that, but it's so... <laughs> Seriously, the kid has been embraced by everybody. Like that. It's so good to see a young player like that. Oh, it's amazing. It's very refreshing. Yeah. How, as you said, the, the first team squad have welcomed him in. But he's embraced it as well. And you're right. I've, I've been involved with uh, a couple of uh, camps where I've seen him in the Canada camp where 
he is a pivotal part of that group. He's he's understands when it's time to work, but he's also a person, a center of attention person, where he he keeps the comical side and the the, the actual hopes up of everyone when things might be a little bit bad. And he's still a young player. He's still only 19 years old. <laughs> You've got to remember that, guys. Well, let me ask you this, right? So, so he goes to Canada, right? And he's 19 years old. He, he's a kid. There, there's pretty much everyone around him's older, more experienced, but he's without doubt the best player. He's playing on the biggest club. He's playing in the biggest games. Does that just naturally make him a leader now on, on the Canadian setup? Not necessarily. It all depends on on the person's character, but I think he will be. I think he'll be that guy where it certainly helps uh, having people like that in the training uh, room and then on the pitch as well. Obviously, other players all of a sudden will be looking up to him as a 19-year-old playing where he is. Um, it's a, it's a, an experience uh, uh, much different than what he's going to have with Bayern Munich with the national team. Well, we talk about, you know, replacing, you know, stars and big names and how hard it can be. You know, we never thought we'd see Jimmy Brennan replaced on Canada, did we? <laughs> and now we have Fonzie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jimmy's listening. He's not, but... That's, well, that's why you said the, the worst players are left back because of Jimmy. <laughs> that's why, yeah. Jimmy exactly. never scored. He never got a cross in. He couldn't shoot. He's not a very good header to the ball. <laughs> Jimmy could shoot. Jimmy, that's, that's a good thing Jimmy had. He could crack a ball. Yeah, he he, could, he, yeah. he caught a couple of nice ones. Scored a couple of nice ones for for TFC. Yeah. That's for sure. He did. Yeah. He did. I remember John Lyle, John Lyle said to Chris Kawamia, he was having a nightmare in training, and and uh, his confidence was down. He used to do these training sessions with him. Like he would have him, guys cut the ball back from you know tight at the near post, and he cut it back about five yards. So he just smashed it in the empty net just to give him confidence. Yeah. One time, John Lyle was so pissed off with him. He's like pulls him. And he's like, you know. You've done quite well for a guy who can't shoot, head, or fucking cross the ball. <laughs> There's some coaching for some man management for you, eh? Jesus. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey Chris, let's ask you then. When you arrived at Ipswich, obviously, you know, you're this young kid from Canada, right? No one knew who you were. Um, Ipswich at that time, coming off, you know, a pretty dominant phase. Um, who was the guy that you replaced? It's a long time ago now. And at what point? Did you replace him, and, and was that accepted by the fans, or was there a bit of a pushback? Well, yeah, because, I mean, Ipswich has gone. They had Paul Cooper for so many years, and winning the FA Cup with him, UEFA Cup, terrific goalkeeper, not the biggest guy, carried a little bit extra lumber later in his career, went to Man City, um, but brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper, um, great hands, great positioning. Uh, so he then left, got older. Uh, younger goalkeeper, John Holsworth, moved in. Uh, he um, was the guy that I replaced, and he moved on to Oldham Athletic, um, played up at Oldham for a few years, John. And, yeah, so I came in and replaced him um, in, the, in the season of, what, 1988, I suppose, something like that. And that was but it was, it was a difficult time for us because uh, the very first year as a youth player, Ipswich get relegated. John, or, uh, Bobby Robson leaves. You know, the club kind of goes down into the division below and stale there for several years. And that's when I got on the team and we got into the Premier League from there. But, you know, it was everything was the golden generation. And why can't you do that? And, you know, they actually expected the fans of Ipswich to win the league. You know, even in 92, when we were early in the season, we were first or not second or third in the division after like six or seven games. And everybody's like, yeah, we're going to win the league. And it's like, well, hold on just a minute. Like, <laughs> if we get one injury here, you know, or we're in trouble, you know. So it was tough, but nothing harder than Bobby Ferguson, who is – Bobby Robson's right-hand man taking over. Um, That's a tough gig, isn't it? Yeah. Tough gig. And and he wasn't suited for it as far as management goes. So great coach. Bobby Robson had the good guy, bad guy, bad cop situation where he was always had a, a sort of a, not a nasty guy beside him, but, uh, but somebody who the players didn't always like. And the, the Cyril Lee was the guy at Ipswich at one time, and then Bobby Ferguson was that guy, and then all the players would go to Bobby Robson and say, oh, Fergie's having a go at me, he's not doing this and that and the other. And it's like, oh, and he put his arm around him, and everybody loved Bobby. That was kind of his thing. John Lyle did that a little bit. Mick McGiven was his right-hand man at Ipswich, and he was 
a bit of a hard ass and push people. And, you know, John Lau was a guy that smoothed things over, but Fergie, he, he just couldn't handle the pressure. You know, he, uh, the media, remember Dave Allard wrote an article saying that the players didn't have any fire in their bellies when they played at Liverpool. And he grabs him by the neck and has him by the tie and he's got fingers <laughs> on his nose and he's, I'll tell you, you imagine now that he's the manager doing that to a journalist. And then he goes golfing, (laughs) and he's at the golf course at Purtis in Ipswich, and he thinks the guys in front of him, the foursome, are being slow because it's him, and they're trying to piss him off. (laughs) And he's convinced it's because he's the Ipswich town manager, and they know it. So this goes on for a few holes, and he's standing there about 150 yards out waiting. This is like Charlie Woods, I think. Charlie Woods was with him, the, uh, one of the coaches at for years and years. He's like, that's it. They're taking the piss. And he ends up, he lines up his ball and he fires it into the foursome on the green. <laughs> and doesn't hit anybody, but it's like drops right in the green. And one of the guys is like, oh, hey, what the fuck? So he walks over to the ball and he's gonna, he goes over to pick it up. And Fergie's like steaming in. Like, <laughs> he's just like, you touch that fucking ball and I'll stick up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> what a paranoia is right oh football, right? it was insane I played for a couple of coaches like that that were very paranoid about everything around them everything actually John Carver John Carver got like that when he was here in Toronto as well he, he, well the message was he admitted reading right I mean what yeah. do you do that for crazy crazy Fergie yeah. or Fergie was up and playing Bradford too and they went out for an Indian uh, when they got up there Great Indian food, and well, everywhere in England, but Bradford. Anyway, uh, the taxi driver, they were saying, oh, what, you know, the taxi driver asked them where they're from. And they said, oh, we're Ipswich Town co- uh, coaches. And the guy says, oh, you guys used to be good. <laughs> Next thing you know, Fergie's got him by the throat <laughs> in the back seat. You <laughs> Everybody's oh, having a go at me. <laughs> Do you think it's more important than when you replace a legend, right? Is it important? to be the opposite to that guy? Or do you think it's smart for a club to get someone who's a little bit similar, you know, who, who can just kind of continue what the, the legend started or have you just got to cut your own path? Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. I, I think a guy like uh, Bruce Grobelar went over to Liverpool and was trying to be so much different than everybody else. Well, actually, you know what? He was trying to be himself because he was that in the North American Soccer League with the Whitecaps. Very entertaining, flamboyant, but... Liverpool and football in England wasn't ready for that change early on and that, you know, that uh, entertainment type of thing that he brought to the game. Ray Clements was far more typical stoic goalkeeper, right? Right. Very solid, did your job. Opposite. Yeah, opposite where he was like into the entertainment thing and eventually they took to it. A couple of European Cups helped. Yeah, and at first, (laughs) that helps, yeah. The old spaghetti legs. But for Deitch, you know, when you replace somebody, nobody cares about your whether you're similar. But if you're knocking goals, they yeah. don't care. Just do it. For strikers, it's a lot different because you, it doesn't matter what profile you are, as Craig said there. If you're scoring goals, the fans will soon forget about the guy that, that was just been sold or played before it. It's when you stop scoring goals or when you start having a nightmare that they start thinking, bloody hell, why have we bought this fella in or... I wish we could have that old fella back. But going back to, to other players or coaches, it's very difficult. I mean, you look at Manchester United. They've been trying to replace Fergie for the past 15 years or so. You mean, you mean they haven't now with Oli, Beach? Yeah, well, he's understudies. <laughs> looks like he's turning things around, but it's, it's tough. It's very tough. I mean, Mourinho starts trying to find himself and replace himself with his old self still. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's, it's yeah. very tough. I think you have to go in as the person yourself with the mindset, I've been brought into this club because of the talent or whatever I have that is that has made me successful. So I have to stick with my values. I can't try and be like the ex-person that was here that brought that success. I have to be very disciplined and I have to try and understand what has brought me my success and try and implement that at the club or try and provide that performance at the club that I'm now playing for. Yeah. It's like when I replaced Jerry Dobson. That's yeah. <laughs> that was you know, tough. Jerry, that was tough. Yeah, it wasn't easy because Jerry was like this, and I mean this with all respect, like this comfortable pair of slippers, right? 
He'd been there for years. Everyone knew Jerry did a great job. He's a legend, you know. And then, you know, up I pop, who I think was a different style entirely, right? And some people took to it. Some people didn't take to it. <laughs> <laughs> and look you at you now. Oh, uh, look at me now. I'm unemployed. <laughs> it's great. Sunday, Sunday afternoon with you assholes. Got the conquered COVID shirt on because it's clean. Yeah, because it won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what? It's the one without flour all over it, actually. It's, that's, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, you know, every, it's everyone's you know, job. You, you replace someone right at some point. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, for all of us, very interesting for sure. But like you mentioned before, the Prem is back soon. Uh, Italy's going to come back as well, uh, according to the Syria. Spain's back soon as well. It's amazing. I've kind of forgotten everything, you know, where we were. I knew, obviously, in England. Liverpool's winning, City were pretty good, there's a battle for fourth <laughs> Of course place, you know but, that. But there's so much that I've forgotten, right? I've seen today there's rumours about David Luiz leaving Arsenal. Like, oh, yeah, David Luiz is at Arsenal. <laughs> Anything surprising you? Have you done any like, name, like, names popping up and you, you've forgotten about entirely? Well, they're talking about Coutinho as well, right? That's right. You're going that caught Arsenal, me. I was right? like, oh, yeah, that was going on, right? Yeah. Nobody's happier than Liverpool players. Klopp's like, oh, everybody's glad, happy to be back, contact and all this and, you know, socializing, being amongst themselves. Because for the last 10 weeks, they're thinking, are we not, we're not even going to get this fucking trophy. Yeah. I mean, for all the teams, it must be more difficult for them, right? I would oh, think. for sure. If they scrapped the league and said, listen, sorry, <laughs> that 25 point lead you got there isn't going to count for anything. Because it might well, not happen again. I was reading uh, right. a couple of weeks ago that they, they brought in a psychologist for the players because a lot of players were, were very down. And along those lines, Craig, they, they were thinking, are we ever going to finish this season? Yeah. Uh, about three weeks ago, and they actually brought in a psychologist. They were doing Zoom calls with the players. I yeah. think Julian Henderson actually come out this week and said something as well, Shams, about if they eventually lift the, the trophy, it's going to be very, very strange and weird doing it in a neutral stadium or an empty stadium. So, But they have to because even if they did it at Anfield and it's empty, you know outside Anfield is yeah, sure. jammed, right? Oh, my goodness. They're talking about the FA Cup being played in front of 20,000 people. If the, the certain numbers remain or, or drop below a certain level, uh, the FA Cup, they're going to try and finish it somehow and they'll play it in front of 20,000 at Wembley. I don't know, 20,000 yeah. or 50,000 or 80,000. I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, are, are they pushing it too far? That's a I would question, have thought you know? when we talk about players being affected, I think Liverpool players out of anybody would have been affected more than anybody else. Man City, yeah. Season, yeah. And then yeah. they've got the teams at the bottom. They're, they're testing positive for COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No one else is, just those guys, right? Oh, fuck, they're just like, yeah, end the season, end the season. Now, don't, as long as there's no relegation. Well, Troy Deeney at Watford says, I'm not training. You know, when yeah. it first, you know, when they first came back, you know, I've got a kid, a newborn at home who had some breathing difficulties That's in right. his early life. I'm not going to risk it. And, and how, can you, how can you debate that, right? Yeah. But let me put, put yourselves in, in these guys' shoes. Would you, say you were still playing, would you be confident, happy to come back at this point? Yeah. I think they're doing it right. They're testing. And so all the players that are in training um, are being tested. You know, there's a, there's an element of a risk, of, of course, but it's low. Um, we just hope they just don't take it home to somebody else. But I think under the circumstance, the way they've actually dealt with it um, and protecting players coming to training and at training and testing, I think that they've done a really, really excellent uh, job to, to make it as, as safe as possible. Explain TFC right now, Deitch, like your experience right now. What is it like to go there to train? What, how are they training? Are they still in their little quads individually? Yes, it's, it's been super organized. Um, as I've explained to you before, the, the process is, is pretty tiring, but it's very organized and very clean. And I think it would be exactly the same in the Premier League and throughout Europe in what they're trying to do because they want to get football back on the field. I think... In North America, we're taking a little bit more of a, a, a careful approach. Um, we're still training as individuals. Actually, the first team got some good news uh, this past Thursday or Wednesday that they can now start training in small groups, which is groups of five or six, uh, I think. So with the second team, we'll be a week behind them. So next Monday, we'll be allowed to train in small groups. But it's great to see that 
the first team in MLS are allowing their clubs to train in small groups. So you can do a little more in small groups. Does that small group uh, stick together like all week long? I don't know. Is it always the same small group together? I'm not sure if it's the same group altogether, but you have to remember that the process involves uh, a questionnaire in the morning. So every coach, every player has to fill out a questionnaire, a medical questionnaire in the morning to see if they're feeling any different, to say uh, where you've been. You have to fill out a daily log if you've been to, I don't know, if you've been to your local grocers or to the garden center or wherever it is, you have to log that down. You get, um, there's a process of going into the car park. You have to wait in your car before being approached by a staff member and signaled to come out individually by yourself to go through a screening process by yourself where you have to sanitize once again. Your temperature is taken. You're then escorted out through a pathway to your grid on the field. That's what the individual training has been done so far. With a mask, with gloves on, you're allowed to remove your mask when you get to your grid because they don't want the players training with masks on. But all the staff have masks on, gloves on throughout the training session as well. Hmm. So it's been pretty pretty organized in that sense. But um, I don't know how the, the small group training is going to work, Craig, because when you think about it, you can do a lot more with small group training. You, you know this as well. You can work with your back four now and maybe your holding midfielder in just doing some pattern work with the ball or defensive shape. You can work with your front group, whether it be crossing and finishing. I don't know the certain areas that we're working on, whether it's still going to be in quadrants or whether they're going to open up the actual distance or the area that they, they these small groups can work on now. I think it's heading in the right direction. Um, but it's just been a long-drawn process at the moment. It, it amazes me how England... We're basically doing individual training for three or four days, and then he suddenly went into straight away. Yeah. Hey, is Michael Bradley uh, training properly now? Is he looking healthy? So Mike has been doing running. He's been doing his training separately than the individual group. But uh, I think we all know uh, Mike. He, he's destined to come back as quick as possible. He's got an extremely strong mentality. Um, he looks after himself, not only in the gym, but off of the field, the way he eats as well. And I, I, I've seen him uh, from a distance doing his running and turning, and he looks pretty good at the moment. I think he was estimated to come back in early June or, or middle of June to start training with the group. So I think it's built up nicely, this COVID uh, pandemic for him. Yeah. The injury side of things that he can probably back, be back with the team when they uh, reassemble into large-sided groups. But then on the flip side, I think, of, you know, obviously Michael was great for him, but then Liam Miller or someone who may have got a lot of minutes without Michael playing, a young player, opportunities to get, ah, Christ, there goes my playing time, Mike's back. <laughs> it goes both ways, right? Liam oh, Fraser. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, Liam Fraser, sorry. Liam Fraser, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it works in your favor. You, you got to get a little bit of luck when you get your opportunities. Yeah. One way or the other. And if you're injured right now and you have a long term injury, this is actually, well, you got to do it anyway. And long term injuries suck. Yeah. At the best of times. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see how many long term injuries come out of this, right? You know, with guys rushing back and there's going to be a lot of soft tissue injuries, which is why I know you guys wanted like three month training camps, which isn't going to happen necessarily. But there, there will be some injuries. We know that. Um, but. Hey, I, I haven't actually followed it that closely. Have there been that many in Germany that you've heard of? Well, guys, Holland, guys aren't dropping, are they? I mean, you see cramping and stuff late in games, but... Our friend Haaland at Dortmund got injured last week. And he had to come off in the, the buying game. And there's been, I think, I think on average, even Dun, Dunlop spoke about this last week, just the intensity that the game is played at nowadays because of the limited stop and starts with the referees because of the non-inclusion of fans and I yeah, think it's two injuries per game at this moment now I'm not I'm not up to date with whether they're long-term injuries or just muscle Dark injuries tissue yeah yeah so but I was reading that there's a, at least two injuries per game at the moment <laughs> now we're logging injuries and what type of injuries and when they happen and why they happen man when will these goddamn analytics stop it'd be interesting Jesus. as well right? It'd be interesting to see 
the other sports when they come back, you know, like basketball, um, hockey, stuff like that, whether there is a change in the dynamics of the game, the stop starts. I know there's different rules, obviously, with uh, timeouts and uh, yeah. the uh, periods of time where they're different than we play with football. But just yeah. seeing from the injury aspect, if there's going to be similar injuries, mm-hmm. yeah. There is in soccer. We'll have to get Alex McKechnie back on and talk that, about that. You know what? Great idea. Yeah, exactly. As explosive because, sports, you think yeah. so, wouldn't you? I mean, all they've done with the Raptors at this present moment is kit them out individually. Well, I think Toronto FC players as well. MLSC have done a really good job with this, trying to give them everything they need, whether it's a stationary bike or whatever they need to, if they have an injury, uh, weights. Um, so, so they're all set up and kitted out, but it's got to be a higher risk of soft tissue in, uh, injuries for sure. Coming back, you know. I wonder which, which athletes are, are more prone to gain a few pounds in their, in their quarantine. There's got to be that guy at every club, right? And NFL. Looking forward to seeing NFL. It's all yeah. NFL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one where the, if you're a frontline NFL player, eh, Dan? You, you, you're like, you put, on a, you put on 20 pounds and you're happy. Yeah, everyone, everyone thinks you're the best. Hey, you've just put on 30 pounds. That's yeah. The yeah, front line guys used to be, if you had one 300-pounder, it was, right? Now they're, now you have to be 300 pounds. Everyone, everyone is 300 pounds or over on the front line. Um, I had a buddy who played uh, 12 years in the CFL, big Métis guy named Chief. Because we were very politically incorrect. Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, and like we're we're best buds. Went to Jamaica together. Um, Three hundred and eight pounds, six foot four, and I was bugging him one time, as I do, and he lay on me. I couldn't get up. I was, <laughs> I was like, in a, it was like I looked like how. Danny looks right now. I look like Ditch right now. But imagine five foot eleven, half Asian guy getting squished by a Métis dude, six foot four, three oh six, and I just go, "Jeez, get the fuck off me! I can't breathe." It was it was ridiculous, and I just kind of went, "Holy jeez!" Like another let, like this is that other level thing that I'll never know what you guys do, but that other level, like there's so much respect. When you see someone, I know we've talked about other players having that other level. Mm. One of those things, that's one of those things. Just on a, and the guy could dance. He was a great, he could dunk. Like he was. Was he fat? Was he fat, would you say? So, depends what he was fast for. For a Suvlaki on a pita, yes. No, fat. Uh, No, fat. Oh, (laughs) fat. Oh, yeah. Well. I mean, it's fats and it's fats, right? Is it fast? Is it fast? It depends on the He wasn't ripped. He wasn't ripped. No. So he had the belly. But Val was, and I so I'm going back to fast. Quick story about Val. We used to stay up late in the house we all lived in, and he heard some some like stepping and alarms going off on the cars outside of the main street in Montreal. And so he looked out, and some guy is car walking at three in the morning. He goes, "That I better not hear my car." Like he had a Mustang. He goes, "I better not hear my Mustang alarm go off." He hears hears the Mustang alarm. He bolts out of the car, about out of the out of the house, and he sees the kid car walking, and he goes, "I'm going to get you." This kid bolts for his apartment, and you know the apartments have like the front door in the kind of low-rise apartments, front door, and then the second door, but they're all glass, and there's that little kind of lobby. It's not a lobby. It's just like a, a step in. He catches them. The guy's like, trying to get in like this, trying to, through, trying to get his key in. He catches them in between. He just goes, sorry, I have to do this. And so he apologized and pummeled them a couple times and said, don't car walk anymore and it left them all crumpled up in that little in that little vestibule area and just went home and i went you know that is fair justice that's some yes. street somebody yeah. walked on my car in england too pardon me somebody walked on my car as well they ran right over top of it well you're that let's go no it was, a, it, was, it, was it was a beige golf mm. 
Yeah, it was a, like a beige. Was beige. it Cabriolet, was it? Oh, that'd be too fancy. Yeah, can I say? It was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, a one liter. That would be big car for parts of England. Yeah, a 1.0. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> the lawnmower. Yeah. But everyone's got that. that. So go ahead, Craig. I was just thinking of cars that came over to uh, do the uh, Euro or something, 2000. And I ended up at the airport and the guy, I had a rent a car and TSN sorted it out. And the guy says, hey, do you want to upgrade? We got these, uh, you know, these Ford Focuses or whatever. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. Free upgrade, apparently. I walk like Steve Martin in planes, trains, and automobiles all the way to the fucking car. And I'm like looking at this freaking Ford Focus station wagon, blue, baby, sky blue. It was awful. Watch out, ladies. So I ended up taking – I drove it. And then Vic Router saw me pull into the parking lot one day. <laughs> He's like, hey, hey, soccer star, nice car. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. That's great. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Everyone's got that that large friend, right, who moves well, haven't they? You know, either no. on the dance floor. You haven't got one of those? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you are that friend. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe I am that guy. Well, no, my, my, I don't my move mate, well. My mate Boomer, he's called Boomer, huge guy, but great hockey player. Any, any sports he just excelled at. You know, obviously never you know, elite level, but moved around better than most of us and was packing like, must have been close to 300. Always made me sick, like, Really? How can you move that way, man? That's, that's not right. You shouldn't well, be able to. I mean, when you think about it, Dan, those top-level NFL front guys are unbelievably quick over most of them over 40 yards, 20 yards, 12 yards. You know, they can only do it a few times and they yeah, right. suck on oxygen, but they're they're lightning fast. Hey, oh, Wanda, Wanda, when you went to Jamaica, did you sit beside your mate Chief? In the oh, yeah. The funny thing is there were a bunch of rednecks from uh, South Carolina and they were all little, the little dudes, not the, not, not, it was very interesting because they thought they went, because we were both, he's Métis, so he's, we're both kind of the same brown, beige kind of thing. And he's just like, <laughs> wow, you fucking growing big in Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm, and so Chief and I would always have, like, before we started our night, we'd have four chugging beers to get over the hangovers. So they're hitting red stripe at us, and we just go chugging beer. So we had to chug four beers to get over the hangovers just to go out. So that was kind of our, our MO. Uh, simpler times, eh? You wonder why you never made it, eh, Dan? We wanted to ask Dish, though. MLS, Dish, what's the latest news on that? So from MLS in general? Or when yeah. yeah, like the tournament thing that we've been hearing about. So... Uh, the process, what they were trying to agree with most of the clubs is that they were going to bring all the clubs down to Orlando from around the 7th or 8th of June and stay down there for around six weeks, which was ludicrous in my opinion. You can imagine it from a player's point of view, Craig, being stuck in a hotel room for six weeks, and it was possibly going to be six to eight weeks where wow. they would play um, around 10 games. But... Now they've come to terms of leaving or saying to the team, stay in your own environment, your own training ground, your own, obviously, city for a prolonged amount of time. And hopefully they're going to be bringing the teams down to uh, Disney at the end of June now. So maybe the last week of June to play a mini tournament of around four to five games. Um by the time that tournament is over, they're hoping that the, the COVID cases or new cases that are, are in effect have come drastically, become drastically low. And then all teams can go back to their hometowns, cities, and play the remainder of their seasons in their home stadiums without fans. But that's, again, in negotiations. The players' union still haven't agreed on this. So the players are still talking and trying to um, come up with a plan or an agreement where everyone's safe, everyone's medically insured. I know clubs and, and owners are still worried about that as well. And as I said, the, the, the player's mental welfare is just as important as getting the game back on for the fans and for us in the media. Have they talked about, you know, just the 
impact financially anybody on the league playing without, I mean, it's a league that depends on ticket sales for sure. Don't have a big enough TV contract to pay all the contracts. The owners had meetings about this. So did anybody talk about the economic impact about it? I think the owners have been in, in talks like literally twice a week, uh, Craig. So they know the economic impact. As I've mentioned before, the big key thing here, which is different than Europe and around the world, is that the the league pay the players. Remember that. So they're yeah. under right. centralized cap. contracts. Yeah. So centralized contract. It's only the DP players that are part uh paid by the league, but also by the owners. So the DP contracts are a little bit different, but for the players, I'm hearing that they've been told that there could be a 10% uh, wage cut for the remainder of the season. So I'm not sure whether that's part of the negotiations that they're trying to hamper out and trying to agree with, as well as uh, the, the smaller time frame which they would be going down to play this tournament is it going to be regionalized is it going to be east and west coast i have no idea about about those practicalities at the moment yeah maybe a fitting time fellas to uh to announce that i'm sorry but we've got to take a 10 percent pay cut on footy prime moving forward <laughs> sorry send me your uh social insurance numbers i'll make sure that <laughs> the doll is paid out 12 bucks, 12 bucks a month and a six pack of Amsterdam. Well, you know what? You know what, Wonga? Maybe you could actually apply for that $40,000 business loan. You know? Yeah, I could have if I did it last year. I started, oh. I started our company one, like, January. If I would have started it in uh, September, we might have had a shot. Ah, damn it. Yeah. Damn it. So, well, hey, listen, before we go, guys, I'm not sure if you saw this. Um, ITV in England have been redoing certain moments in sports. Um, and one well, well, that jumped up to me, they showed Euro 96, England against uh, Germany, the Paul Gascoigne miss. You know, the one when he slides in, he, he would have been a huge moment. Um, they redid it, so he actually scores the goal. It looks incredible, actually, the way they did it. It's so well done. So I thought, you know, are there any moments that you would like to redo, either in your careers? We'll, we'll, we'll start with your careers. Is there a moment that you would like to redo? Just one moment, if you could change history, what would it be? So, so Craig, can we start with you? I mean, I'm sure you guys, I did ask you this before, but as I say every week, mm-hmm. you never do any kind of preparation work. But, um... <laughs> well, you know what? There would be a moment. We were 1-0 up against Mexico, qualifying for 94 World Cup. If we beat them, we were tied on gold uh, points, but we were they slaughtered teams in Azteca, so our goal differential. Uh, we were 1-0 up. And just before halftime, Hugo Sanchez scored in Toronto at Varsity Stadium. Um, can't remember whose legs it went through. I want to say John Catliff, but well, I'm not sure why he'd be back there. But anyway, I didn't see the shot come through his legs. And if I had seen the shot, I think I would have saved it. And that would have been, you know, that moment. But fast forward another six years, um, I remembered that moment when I saved the penalty of the Gold Cup final. Um, and I was yelling, and the players are coming in. Oh, my God, you saved the penalty, and they're all, but you got six seconds to release the ball, right? And I actually oh, thought there was 10 minutes left in the game, and I started screaming at Jeff Clark and everything. I was just sort of really out of character, but I was just like, we got 10 fucking minutes to see this out, and if we do it, we'll remember it forever, but if you fucking blow it, it'll change everything. Everything, your whole life moving forward, everything will be changed. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. so quickly, and those moments are very, very few and far important between. moments. But, yeah, yeah. You got to make sure you finish things off because you've seen those nightmares where people let things just out of their grasp. You know? Were they surprised by your reaction at that point? Do you think? Well, they were kind of still. It was like, oh, who fucking cares? But it was like, yeah, because I ended up just from that moment, all the players were there, and the, it, I had to release the ball. The game was still on. Mm-hmm. I just ended up, I think, punting it out, out of bounds at the halfway line just because I didn't want to just kick it back and give up possession that easily. It was like, you know, I needed time for everybody to push out and close the throw in. Oh, down. Craig, Craig, there's no way an international referee would, would screw a Canadian national team for a goalkeeper holding the ball too long, would they? That would never happen. No, no, of course <sighs> Nah, never. <laughs> <laughs> you name it, we had it happen to us. Beach, what about yourself? Is there a moment in your career that you would change? I've got a feeling I know what it is, actually, but go ahead. 
Well, yeah, we, we know the obvious, which is obviously uh, the fight, which got me sent off for um, missing the FA Cup final. But there's actually another one, and it was in a, a cracking game at Wembley for Sunderland, and it was uh, the playoff final versus Charlton, um, where we, we ended up drawing 4-4, and it ended up going to penalty kicks, and we lost on penalty kicks. But in extra time, I had a glorious chance to, to win the game, and the the ball came across from our winger at the time, Nicky Summerby. Um, and I, I don't know why at that moment I decided to go for the scissor kick, the, the half volley, because I felt it looked more comfortable when I was more than adequate to just head the ball, dive in the header and put it in the back of the net and win the game. And I ended up trying to go for the, the scissor kick or the half volley, the, the canyon half volley, and then ended up missing the ball totally. And it was a moment in my career that I still look back on and even Sunderland fans remind me of it, even though someone missed a penalty in the, in the shootout and I was actually next up after Mickey Gray who missed the, the the penalty which we eventually lost the game on. I was the seventh penalty kick taker, but it was that miss during extra time that I really looked back on and said I should have headed that ball. And my dad reminded me straight after, thankfully, the game in the, in the players' lounge after me. He said, why the fuck did you not head that ball? I'm like, <laughs> thanks, Dad. That's all I've been thinking about in the shower for the past half an hour. Yeah, thanks, that Dad. Was, that was a £75 million game that uh, was on the cards for us to go to the Premier League. But <sighs> It's got to be so, as, as an athlete, a professional at that level, it's got to be so frustrating knowing that something you do nine times out of ten but nine times out of ten, not ten times out of ten, and that one one time cost you. I mean, Craig could have been at a World Cup, Deitch yeah. could have been up in the Prem, you know, the Black Hat, you know, at that time. So yeah. it must have been an Euro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How well, uh, you know, it's, moments it's, like that can when you go, over. when you think about it, World Cups and when you're tournament events, when you get to say the last sixteen in a, a knockout event. <laughs> You know, you're talking about that March Madness NCAA moments where it doesn't matter how good the team is in the world. You go to one-off games, miracles happen all the time. Look at the Olympics in 1980 in Salt Lake or uh, in the United States. at uh, The Miracle on Ice? The Miracle on Ice against the Russians, a bunch of amateur American players on a one-off. I think even the coach said, this team beats us <laughs> nine out of ten times, but not today. And so... World Cups are so difficult to win. You look at England in 70, how well they played. It could have done yeah. better. It's a great team. I look at you 86. Know, I look at, you know, my sports fandom, you know, so many disappointments center around World Cups in England, you know. So yeah. Campbell, that, that goal being ruled off for offside in 98. Yeah. You know, the, the, Hand of God. Argentina. Hand of God being probably the biggest one, right? Just imagine if that was called. History's re- rewritten. England could be a World Cup champion. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And I you think know, I remember Lineker having one come right across the box too that he had a great oh, chance. Jesus with. Christ, yeah. Gerard slip. What if Gerard hadn't slipped for right. Liverpool three or four years ago now? We wouldn't be saying, oh, it's been 30 years. We'd be saying, it's been three years. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, they talk about moments like that. Kawhi Leonard, Toronto Raptors. If that yeah. game six against Philadelphia bounces out and goes out, they go to overtime, they could have lost it. Next thing you know, everybody's going, what a disaster. They sold the Rosen or they traded it off to Rosen. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And now Kawhi goes. There's a parallel universe out there where yeah. I'm a really happy fucking sports fan. Really <laughs> happy. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's is. champions. Everyone's winning. All those moments that broke my heart actually elated me instead. I think you're right. Um, so England, uh, out of all the football memories and experiences and history, England made me cry the most as a child. Penalty yep. kicks. Oh, it's just in general, like just the build up. In England, oh, the build always up. the build up. The Euros, the World Cups, and you always think this is going to be our year. I even remember the, 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 the hand of God. I was a young boy. Remember, I wanted to kill Maradona. Like, if I, oh, I hated him. I was terrified of him. When he, still- dropped, when he dropped that hand of God in after the game, that just pissed the English off. That was remember but, that after the war as well, right? They had the yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Soon. But that whole, but that whole World Cup though, Maradona was just you know dominating, and he. I can't remember. I mean, I haven't. There's been no other player that's terrified me more as a sports fan than that guy. And I remember watching that game, like you did, watching it so closely. And every time he got the ball, I, my stomach would get nervous. Like, oh God, don't, 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 don't. He scores that incredible goal. He gets the hand of God goal. He just, my nightmares were 
fulfilled there. It, it was awful, but you never rediscover really that romance as yeah. an adult, do you, in sport, as you do as a kid. Something very special about it. These are superheroes. These are magical people. You never get that back, no matter what. No, you're right. It's amazing, isn't it? When you're a kid and you watch that, you're just like in awe of it. It's just because you don't see the bad side, right? You just see these guys who are like larger than life. These yeah. comic book heroes. Yeah, and and the camera's always on the winners. Yep. And you're playing in the street the next day, and you are Paul Gascoigne, or you are Wayne Gretzky. You know, whatever it is. It's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. It must be funny if you were one of those guys who were just so dominant. I mean, like, we talk about Fonzie at Byron. I mean, how can it not be fun playing? <laughs> like, if you're that good, if, so if the game's fast. that simple, if the game's that simple to you. Yeah, right? it's, it's that simple. And game's simple. Everybody loves me and da-da-da-da. I hope he has good handlers. I really do because it's going to – it's a – it's a long. It's going to be a long career for him. Hopefully, if he's physically able and uh, to deal with all these different things is, you need somebody that's done it before. Certainly, would have some experience being able to balance all these different aspects of his life. And there's going to be criticism down the road too. And he's on social media, and there's going to be a time when people will come at him, media will come at him. There's always going to be something. Probably already are. I'm sure. I'm yeah. Sure. So you know, he's that. He's that public on social media. I'm sure he's being got at by some imbeciles out there. Yeah. You know, and maybe, you know. and maybe one day we'll have him on a footy prime. Hey eh, guys. I would yeah. love that. Yeah. Of course we would. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. <laughs> Hopefully we can. Just go. Yeah. Try and All right, some, fellas. Uh, well, Dean, when you start working with him, once you, uh, you know, once Canada starts playing again, you get your, your old gig back again, assuming that happens. Uh, you start, oh, no. start, you know, finessing the footy prime angle with, with Fonzie, will you? <laughs> Uh, I just, I just want to be back into to training bigger groups and getting hopefully football back in a, in MLS, let alone international level. But hopefully we have some good news with Canada as well, Craig. I think they're starting to change things up with the quali- qualification process. Uh, Concacaf are trying to wrangle things uh, in a good way. I think for Canada that they could possibly qualify in a different way now. Is that right? Yeah, there. I mean, there's a there's a bunch going around about something's going to have to change because they're not going to be able to do it like they were going to with the hex and on yeah. ranking. So it's going to be probably something of larger, uh, more teams involved. I would think. Fingers crossed. Yeah, maybe we'll have Victor Montagliani on here again too, and tell you can tell us what's going on. All oh, I was looking forward to that potential playoff against Papua New Guinea. Oh. <laughs> wherever the hell they were going to go. Yeah. Well, I tell you, the one thing about the national team over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we've played against small islands like we've never had before. I mean, outside, ranked well outside 100, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think our national team has played against a qualifier against a, you know, very rarely against a, a top 30 side. I don't know if we've played any outside of the United States. Well, maybe this, uh, maybe this big break of ours from sports might be beneficial to certain teams and certain countries and certain nations. We'll see. You know, I wouldn't call it a, a silver lining. It's been a pretty dreadful time for humanity. We know that. But uh, if we can grasp at something, let's look at sport and maybe uh, we'll see some benefits like a healthy Liverpool and a healthy Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, oh. uh, an easier route to the World Cup for Canada. Speaking of not bothering about the pandemic, the Leafs, those guys with – Bad, another bad season just goes in the away. playoffs. Twenty four teams. Anyone can win it now. If they, if they oh, through with this. Oh, fantastic. Mikhaya's going to be healthy. Oh, I'm so excited about this. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> All right, boys. Listen, we. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that we're running the disc. The, the floppy disc is almost out of space. There. We got about five minutes left. So uh, if you want to go, go one more out, you could. No, I'm done. <laughs> you guys done? Yeah, I gotta. I gotta say a couple things. One. Uh, Alfonso Davies is a uh, Cosby sweater away from living in the 80s. Uh, Danny, you definitely, if we flipped your head upside down, eh, Sharms? And yeah, just oh, yeah. Mouth on, he'd be upside down face, man. It's awesome. I told you, that's what we used to call it. It's so good. Upside down heat. And that's it, fellas. That's all I got. All right. What a way to end the show. <laughs> hey, Craig, Craig's working in his upside-down head now as well, actually. Yeah. yeah. The beer's looking good. It's coming in. Bloody hell, is it ever great? Does that surprise you? 
love it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I knew it was great. Jesus. I knew it was great. I just didn't realize it. as it got longer, it just teach. I'm gonna have to use it just for men. Have to yeah. take that in. Get 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 them and send you a little package. I'll send it. It's nine dollars on Amazon. Just nine <laughs> uh, we, we can start calling you the Silver Fox. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Amazon. I like that. <laughs> um, I'm actually concerned because I buzz my hair, so I'm concerned it's coming in a bit grayer than it was before. I'm gonna see. Whatever. To keep it it's up. Pies. Whatever. <laughs> it is. It is gray. I don't gray my hair. Are you kidding me? Look at this beard. Right, that name again is Mr. Pie. Mr. Pie. All right, everyone. That's been Footy Primer. Our thanks to Amsterdam Brewery, of course. Um, our thanks to the Dean Blundell Show, deanblundell.com. Uh, we'll be back again next week. It's been fun, guys. We love our guests, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's good to go old school a little bit and just have a little little chin wag between the, the four or five of us. So uh, thanks, fellas. Uh, and we'll be back same time, same place next week. Cheers for watching and listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.